Hi, Explorers. Thanks for listening to Kids Who Explore Parent Edition. Come along with us as we cover all corners of raising kids in the outdoors. Today's podcast is sponsored by Kids Who Explore's Patch for a Purpose. Every time we see our patch out in the world, we feel the love and support behind it. Our patches can be sewn onto backpacks, jackets, bags, or even baby carriers, to name a few. Or they can be carried in your packs as special adventure items for all your little explorers. Our patch comes in eight different colors, and a dollar from each patch goes to a, you guessed it, purpose. Your support can make a difference for all of the following charity groups, depending on which color patch you want to represent. Alberta Parks, Children's Disability, BIPOC and Anti-Racism, Sick Children, The Earth, Children's Wellbeing, Anti-Bullying, and Children's Mental Health. Check out the hashtag patch for a purpose to see our patch and the community behind it. That's hashtag patch, the number four, a purpose. To get your patch today, visit www.kidswhoexplore.ca. We thank you in advance for the difference you are making. Hey everyone, I'm Cindy Dowsett, mama to six-year-old son Jackson and three-year-old daughter Naya. Hi, I'm Lauren Ruddock-Everly, mama to baby girl, one-and-a-half-year-old Collins. We're excited to be your host today. Michaeline Duclef, PhD, is the author of New York Times bestseller, Hunt, Gather, Parent. This is the parenting book of all parenting books, where Duclef shares what she learned after visiting three continents and experiencing family life there with her three-year-old daughter, Rosie. You can also find Duclef at NPR, where she uses much of her expertise to cover a wide range of topics, all with science and health in mind. She currently lives in Alpine, Texas with her husband, daughter, and German shepherd, Savannah. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's a pleasure. I truly don't know how many times I've said to people, if you're only going to read one parenting book, let it be Hunt, Gather, Parent. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful for you to say that. Well, thank you for writing it. I had my sister-in-law read it, my mom read it, and we all just talked about it nonstop. We could have done, Cindy and I have a book club where, and we could have done our whole book club on it because we got everyone on board. So Thank you so much for writing it. It's a really important piece of work. Can you give a quick overview of the places you travel to around the world with your daughter, Rosie, and all the places that you learned about parenting from? Yeah, so we went to three communities, which are just incredible cultures. So the first was in the Yucatan, Mexico, a little tiny Maya village about two and a half hours from Cancun. Very hot, very moist, um, very lush, beautiful village. Um, and then we flew up to the, the extreme opposite, we, to the Northern Canada and the Arctic, to a, a little Inuit uh, fishing town called Kugarok. It was in the summer, so it was in like the 50s or 60s, but gorgeous town set along a bay. And while we were there, we went narwhal hunting with uh, one of the elders three times. I mean, it was just an incredible experience up there. We lived with this wonderful family who has lived, you know, probably a thousand years in that area, this, this family, you know, through generations. And then we flew on the other side of the world somewhat uh, to Tanzania to a group called the Hadzabe, which live in a portion of Tanzania where people have lived for tens of thousands of years. And no one's quite sure how long the Hadzabe people have lived there, but likely thousands of years. And this group is just an incredible community, which has, you know, very consciously and intentionally preserved traditional ways of living. So they still hunt with bow and arrow. They still live in nomadic groups. 
Um, and it's by total choice. It's like they have decided this is the best way to live. And um, you know, we've lived this way for thousands of years. Why would we change? And it, this was an incredible experience too. And along with preserving that, that traditional lifestyle comes preserving many, many of the parenting methods that they that their ancestors have used for likely hundreds, even thousands of years. What a magical, magical experience. That is amazing. And how fortunate for you to be able to bring your daughter on that and have her experiencing it. And, and as a mother, being with these families and seeing how they're raising their children, I, just reading your book, I'm just like, Lauren, I rave about it. I really enjoyed it. I, it truly is the only parenting book required. And it really was interesting learning about those different techniques or, or parenting styles that you that you talk about it, that you, you write in your book. And like Lauren said, I even had a friend who doesn't have children. And when we were sailing this summer, when once the kids were in book, I'd or sorry, once the kids were in bed, I'd, I'd get your book out and I'd be reading it. And he was like, what you reading over there? What you doing? And, and he had me like reading it out loud and he would just lay there and listen. And then he'd question things or he'd ask me about things and it'd start this like discussion. It's that's very interesting. You know, I've had people tell me that they, you know, their children are grown or they don't have children, but they've gotten a lot from the book because I think the book really is about how we treat other people. It's about a different way to, you know, it's about a different way to relate to children than we, we see in, in America and Western culture. But at the end of the day, it's also how you treat others. You know, it's how I treat my husband. It's how I treat my colleagues at work. You know, I have applied it to my whole life and, and it has really transformed my relationships with people, not just with, with Rosie. You know, taking Rosie with, to these places was incredible in the sense that they just, first of all, they thought all the places we went to, they didn't think it was weird. It was like, your, your kid, you know, you're going, you're working and you're living your life and your kid goes along with you. And we talk a lot about, I talk a lot about that in the book, how kids are just integrated into the adult world. And so they saw that as like, of course she's with her daughter, you know, why wouldn't her daughter be here? Um, and, and what Rosie did was it, it as a, I've been a reporter now 10 years and I've traveled all around by myself or with a producer and with Rosie there, people were so open, so wanting to like talk to me and share with me and teach me. I mean, they could see I had no clue how to be a parent. It was very obvious in all the places we went, I was clueless. And um, they were just, you know, really, really wanting to help and, and you know, guide me. And, and with her there, they could just show me like, no, do it like this, you know, and which made the research like so much easier. That was definitely a part that resonated with me too, because as you can see with my daughter here, she's always at work with me and always doing all the things we're doing. So I was thinking, oh, I just wish it was like that in North America and it wasn't as looked at as a weird thing. That right. was just with me everywhere I go. <laughs> I know. And then, and I mean, it's so wonderful. I wish it was like that too, you know, and I've started taking, because of the pandemic, I started taking Rizzi to a lot of things. Um, you know, interviews. And I try to, I try to include her as much as possible in my work. And she loves it, right? I mean, she loves it. And it's training her. I mean, like your little girl, she's so cute. You know, she's learning. She's learning how to make podcasts. She's learning how to behave. You know, she's learning how to be part of a team. You, you, these are things they can't learn in school. And, it, and it's lifelong lessons. And then at the same time, she's connecting with you. She's building this incredible bond with you because she's helping you, you know, it's, it's, it's beautiful. I love it. 
Absolutely. And Collins is all about podcasting. We hear her voice in here all the time. <laughs> she's going to be a singer like her mama. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these are things she's going to, my dad, it was a doctor and he took me to the hospital one time to the lab. He had to go into the lab and get something like one time. And that experience like is a big reason I became a scientist, that one experience. Right. And so imagine like doing it more than once, just the, the richness and the inspiration that it gives a kid. That's incredible. I, with the pandemic right now, my children can't come with me to the clinic anymore, but oh. they, they miss it and they loved it. Like my son loved being a model for other kids receiving acupuncture and being like, look, it doesn't hurt. It's okay. Oh. Or he would rob a pregnant woman's back or her feet while I was putting needles in. So it was really, it teaches them so much. Like you said, being present with you. Yeah. And then, I mean, I argue a lot in the book that that connection that you're making when, when they're in your world, you know, trickles down to the rest of life, right? They become over time more cooperative with you when you're trying to get them to go to bed, when you're trying to get them to go to school, you know, when you're trying to like do something that they may not be, you know, so excited about because they've been with you and kind of been part of your world. It makes it much easier to get them to do things. One of the, the anthropologists, psychologists told me this, that she thinks that a lot of the struggle that American parents have is because the kids are, aren't trained or used to working together with their families, with their parents. And so bringing the kids to work and having them in your work teaches that cooperation and um, that teamwork that they really, really crave. Kids crave it. Right. And so in your book, you talk about your you not being interested in kids-centered activities. So, so does that tie into that at all? Oh, absolutely. Right. Kids to explore, we're all about trying to get families out the door and doing family-centered activities. So whether that's hiking or biking or whatever, can you speak a little bit more to the reason behind avoiding kids-centered activities? So first of all, kids-centered activities are really strange. Like if you look around the world, like the vast majority of cultures don't have these things at all. And definitely throughout human history, they didn't exist. I mean, people just didn't think that kids needed specific activities. You know, maybe a mom or a dad would make a kid a, a one or two toys. And often those toys were actually directly related to work. So like practicing, there's, there's a story in the Arctic where the mom makes kind of a little fake um, dog sled for the child to practice kind of being on a dog sled, right? So toys like that, like one or two, um, but, but this idea that like a kid needs like a special birthday party, a special, you know, uh, activity during the weekend, you know, playrooms, special restaurants, this is just crazy. Um, if, you, if you look around the world, like just it never happens. Um, and so it's completely unnecessary, number one. Like if you, I felt like, I was supposed to do it, that there was, that I was being a bad parent if I didn't want to go to the birthday parties, I didn't want to go to the kitty museums, like I was somehow, you know, neglecting Rosie. And what I learned by reading the literature and also traveling is that that's not true at all. It's totally unnecessary. In fact, some psychologists argue that these activities for some kids may not be the best thing. So for instance, what I started to notice was after these activities, Rosie's behavior was really bad. You know, because I think she kind of had a hangover a little bit and didn't want to come back to the real world. She wanted to stay kind of in that fantasy land. I was actually just going to ask you then if you found, I want you to touch more on that, but if the pandemic has changed that at all, because there's been less of that going on. It's an interesting question. And definitely during the pandemic, all of a sudden parents didn't have these activities 
to go to, right? So our neighbor could, who's seven, we never saw because he was always in an activity. And then when the pandemic hit, it was like, he was at our house every day, <laughs> you know? Like, it was just like, he was knocking on the door and like, cause he had nothing to do, right? And it was, it was really wonderful, actually. He became really good friends with Rosie and a really good help with her. Um, but so definitely during the pandemic, it changed. Like all of a sudden, so in Western culture, in America, we take all these great links to separate the adult world and the child world. And that's what we create these child-centric activities because we're separating them out. We think that children don't belong in the adult world or can't handle it, or they're just not supposed to be there. Um, and during the pandemic, right, the two worlds collided. And, it, and I think that's some of the problem was because we weren't used to being around our children 13 hours a day. Um, and so I think a lot of parents did adapt and started doing more family-centered activities. Like a lot of parents tell me they started cooking more together. They started going to the park more, you know, hanging out outside all together. And I hope, I, I hope that parents see the benefit of that. And it continues even as, you know, child-centered activities open back up. Um, totally unnecessary. Any child-centered, any activity that you do just because you're a parent and you would never do if you weren't a parent besides school, you know, um, you totally don't need to do and you don't need to feel guilty about not doing it. In fact, your child is learning probably more skills and growing and maturing more if, if, you, if you include them and welcome them into your world and really do things that you know, that the whole family, the whole family can enjoy, including the parents, the things parents would do if they didn't have kids. I think you just gave at least majority of our listeners today, at least half of their plate has been taken away. You've given them yes. permission, permission to compost that. I'll post it. That's right. <laughs> it's not necessary. Unload that plate. <laughs> That's yeah. Great. So what would your take as a family, we really love uh, mountain biking and skiing with our kids because it's an activity that we can do as a family. Um, our son is really wanting to get into hockey and we're like, really? <laughs> like, do, do you really want to do this? Because like we're going to have to sit in these cold stands and we want to, you know, BMX with you because that's the sport that he recently got into. But we can do it as a family. Mm. So so talking about kid-centered activities, do you feel like um, sports are, are very kid-centered? Yeah, that's a great question. And I address it a little bit in the book. And I actually talked to a woman who's writing a book about this, like kind of the advantages and disadvantage of organized sports. Um, I think it depends on the kid and the sport and the family, you know, and I think in a lot of cultures and a lot of families, like sports, kids' sports are this like you know, family community activity, right? The whole family goes, maybe one kid's playing in the sport, but then the other kids are playing with the other kids around, you know, and it's this thing that, that, that a lot of that everyone's enjoying. If the parents are enjoying it too, you know, I, you know, I, I, it's one of those things that like, if you enjoy it and you love it and you're excited, like there's no harm in doing it. Right. I think it's just that I think people feel pressure to do it, even though they don't want to be there, you know, um, I think I think kids sports have a lot of advantages for kids when they want to do them, when they like them and enjoy them. I think the problem comes when you've got like a three-year-old and you're putting them in a, like a soccer practice, you know, and the, the three-year-old doesn't really want to do it or be there. And, and, and so early on too, right? Children, what are children getting out of it really early on? So what the Maya parents do and the Inuit parents you know, they have organized sports and stuff, but it's really child driven. 
right? So the child is the one that says, I want to do it like your kid. I really want to do hockey mom. I really want to do this. And then, you know, if the parent wants to come, the parent comes. Otherwise, the parent finds a way to, for the kid to do it on their own, you know, and really kind of embrace it themselves um, and maybe support them at ga some games or, you know, you know, do take part in it as they feel like they want, but the kid is really driving the activity. Um, so in, in the little Maya village, you know, the kids would play soccer, but you know, they, they, they took themselves there, they signed themselves up, right? It's, it's very like, it's not the parent driving the train, so to speak, it's the kid really driving it. And that's what, how I feel for Rosie. Like, you know, if she comes to me eventually and really wants to play a sport or really want to do it, an, an after school activity, you know, then I'll be like, I'll, I will support her, but it will be her deciding to do it and her really taking the initiative to do it. And I will work as she gets older to find a way for her to do it on her own without me, right? Or with me kind of as a support, but not, not the lead. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. Well, Cindy, it looks like you're getting Jackson into hockey then. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it is very community focused. Like we do, you know, the parents all sit with our hot I drink tea, but they, you know, their coffees and our blankets and we, that's time to catch up with other parents. And my daughter is playing with the younger siblings. So it definitely is a big community thing where we live for sure. Maybe you could switch on and off or you just be like, I'm not going and your husband can go. <laughs> well, now we have no choice. Right now we're still in a pandemic. So we're actually only one parent okay. is allowed to go if we are. Some arenas, we're not even allowed to go in at all. But my son, I said that to him. I was like, you know, buddy, like, this is happening right now. I might not be able to come in with you. And he was still like, that's okay. I got my coach and my friends. So I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah. And then he's, he's building this like auton autonomy skill, right. And this very like self-sufficiency skill. So like if Rosie wants to go to a birthday party, I like say, you know, I, I, I hope we try to coordinate, you know, you go, you go with another parent, you know, and anytime they want to do things on their own, I, that should be totally support. Like in many cultures, kids from a very early age, six, five, six, go, go off on their own with other families, right? Like there's stories in around the world of, you know, five, six-year-olds taking trips with anthropologists, of, you know, with, by themselves because they wanted to go. Like, you know, the, the anthropologist is going to another village and the little five or six-year-old wants to go. And the, the parents, you know, figured out that this anthropologist is pretty safe and, you know, and they go with them and they help. And like, so there's much more of this, like, again, child driven. I want to go, I want to go do this, you know, mom and dad, can you help me find a way to do it? That may not necessarily involve mom, often does not involve mom and dad. Right. I think we don't see that option so much, you know, but, but that is, I mean, what a skill, right. That kids are gaining, you know, to be on their own a little bit. And that has ripple effects for their mental health. Huge, huge. Kids need more autonomy and more kind of separation from their um, mom and dad, their nuclear family. Yes. And I like that you said child-driven because I teach music as well. And there's such a difference when you can see that the kids want to do it and they've asked to do it versus it's something that the family expects them to do. So just, yeah, I think that there's this sense in our, in our culture that we're like, we have to fill up the time, right? That like, what are we going to do with the kid on Saturday? Oh my gosh, what am I going to do, you know, after school? Like that, that there's this time and it needs to be filled no matter what. And that is crazy. Like no matter where, or all around the world, parents never feel this way. It's like parents go about their lives and they kind of expect their kids to go with them, be there hang out, help, 
when they can. And, um, and so there isn't this need to, to have a special, special things, fill up a child with, you know, special, special activities and time. Um, and I think when we try to fill them up, fill their days and their schedule with time, you run into this where the kid doesn't want to do it, you know, and you get conflict and you get, it becomes stressful, right? I see that if we're too busy, they just get overwhelmed. I think they're tired. Yeah. Overwhelmed, overstimulated, you know, um, kids, look, life is kind of boring, right? Like a lot of what I do during the day is not exciting. And like many jobs are boring. And, and I think we kind of are, if we overschedule kids, we're kind of training them that life is this like nonstop, what's next? Oh my gosh, nonstop excitement. And at the end of the day, what they really need to learn is to like be calm and focus and, you know, kind of flow this, this, you know, it's a skill an initiative. So this is an interesting study that came out that looked at kids that aren't overscheduled in, in, the, in Mexico and kids that are kind of overscheduled, what we kind of typically think of here. And one of the things that they saw were the kids that had big gaps in their schedule and had this time to kind of figure out what they do with themselves and decide for themselves kind of what they do, were taking initiative more often. So they were doing their homework without being asked. They were helping around the house without being asked. They were helping with their siblings. And so what they were learning when they had these big gaps, you know, like five hours at night to kind of do what they felt was best to manage their own lives a little bit, um, that they, it was teaching the child how to take initiative and how to just, you know, stop and think for himself, like what, what needs to be done next and what should I do next? And without those gaps, I think kids lose out on that skill. So what you're saying is if I don't put my son in hockey, maybe I'll come home to a clean house. <laughs> I would say don't put your son in hockey unless like he has like, I mean, how old is he? How old is he? He's six. <laughs> he's six. Oh yeah, don't put your son. He's too young. I mean, like six-year-olds don't need don't need. He should be cleaning sports. toilets. <laughs> he should be with you, learning, learning. Yeah, learning the ropes of your house. You know, he learning. actually does. He actually does. Okay, okay, okay. Then maybe <laughs> maybe he's learned. He's, he's actually really awesome. Then maybe he's all right with hockey. I mean, I, I I tell that to Rosie. I'm like, you know, you can't do these. These are privileges, right? These special activities you know and and yeah if you're not if you're not a responsible family member and learning those skills then you're not ready for extra I like how you worded that privileges yeah I mean I think that's a, a, one of the big shifts like so you know in the Maya village in the in the Arctic you know kids did after school activities um much fewer much much fewer um they were child driven as I said but also if they didn't if they weren't good family members and weren't taking care of their responsibility in the home, helping out, you know, being respectful, sharing, then they, then yeah, they weren't allowed to do those extracurricular activities. They were privileges and same with screens, right? Screens are privileges that you, that you learn, that you, you earn after you've done your responsibilities to the family. Yes. And talking about taking stuff off people's plate, I think you have totally taken away the guilt that there doesn't need to be something set up when you're doing laundry and cooking. They can help you with all those things. I mean, my daughter is a year and a half and she already is a pro at the laundry. So, <laughs> you know, that is when you teach them right there. Like right. A year and a half. <laughs> they want to be doing what you're doing. So it's the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like there's no reason they need any other entertainment except you and your chores, like and right. your errands and and your hobbies and 
you know, your social life, like that's, that, that is all they need and want to be honest. We are the ones that like shove in their face, the screen and the toys, right? And at the end of the day, kids just want to be with us, even older kids. But at that age, it's very clear, right? Absolutely. People need to read your book to get the full effect of this concept, but you, if you have time to briefly share about your team acronym and how it yes. play out with parenting in the outdoors specifically, because togetherness, encouraging, all the things, if you can talk about it, how it would relate to getting kids outside. So I have to say, I didn't talk about this a lot in the book, but one of the major differences in our life and our way of parenting than, than basically the rest of the world and throughout human history is the amount of time both parents and the adults spend outside. So for instance, when we were with the Hadzabe, we were outside like, you know, 14 hours <laughs> during the day and the kids were outside that much too. I mean, same in the Yucatan. Like, I mean, it's actually really in all the places like outdoor time is, is just basically the norm. And what that does for children is extraordinary right, for their mental health, for their physical health. And it's one of the things that I think I have implemented without really thinking about it, but just being like, if anyone's grumpy, if any, you know, if anybody is misbehaving, we're going to go spend four hours outside. Like, you know, I'm going to take a book, I'm going to take my work, and we're going to go to a park. Now where we live, you know, we just go outside our yard. Um, And this is such an undervalued resource as a parent. Um, And yeah, so I, we are, our mental health would have been like totally destroyed by the pandemic if I hadn't really like realized this, like just how much being outside is, you know, kids have, a, were, have spent 200,000 years living outside, right? And now we kind of think that they, that they'll be okay inside, but, you know, go outside anywhere. It doesn't matter. And, and, and you can find places where you don't need to really control the child, right? Where they can, you can see them, you can stay at a distance and you can teach them the dangers. And, you know, really it's about outside and letting go and letting them be. Okay, sorry. I just had to say that because- <laughs> No, that, that's so great because with your acronym, you talk about autonomy and minimal, minimal interference. And I think that's what you get outside. I feel like parents get so overwhelmed inside because they're constantly saying no don't touch this or oh you can't do this or do this instead but outside it's just freedom they can just go explore and learn their bodies and learn what they're capable of and kind of create their own adventure yeah exactly there's not property to destroy um but but also like there is just for a child there's infinite activity too right like it's just infinite like rosie can spend like two hours, like looking for roly polies, you know, she'll be bored like 10 minutes in her house, but like, you know, or, or even like she spent like a couple days ago, she spent like an hour in a tree. Like, I don't know what she was doing in there. She was just like up in that tree, like, you know, and yeah, exactly. So the acronym team works the best outside. (laughs) There's no doubt. And it's easiest. And I actually say this in the book, it's the easiest to implement like at a park or a beach or just a field in your yard, like it's so much easier to start off with outside. So T is for together. The kids want to be with you. They crave it. They want, and not just just you, I should say, they want to be with adults or older children. They want to be with somebody older than themselves that loves them. So it can be anybody who loves them and looks after them. So, and it's not, together is not this like, 
very intense, you talking to the child, playing with the child, entertaining the child. Together, it literally just means you being nearby and doing something or and not doing anything, sitting there, just being with the child and you both kind of taking care of yourselves. E is for encourage versus force. So this is, this I think is the hardest one to do because we kind of live in this world of forcing each other all the time and controlling children really. Um, but it means that you're not throwing up your hands and letting children do whatever they want. You're constantly kind of, a, it's like a soft, constant pressure of encouraging the proper behavior. And there, in the book, there's an entire chapter on all the tools. There's all these tools you can use to encourage a child versus forcing them. Because when we force them, it creates conflict. You, you know, Every time you tell a child something to do, you run the risk of them getting angry because you're telling them what to do, or you getting angry because the child isn't doing what you're asking. So encourage, which also works really well with the spouses. Encourage versus force. <laughs> and then the A and the M are what you kind of alluded to, autonomy and minimal interference. So autonomy, is allowing the child, basically not bossing the child around, allowing them to make decisions for themselves moment to moment, but they're still connected to the family. So like we said before, they still have to help. They're expected to help. They're expected to be kind to each other and they're expected to be generous. And so it's autonomy is this like kind of freedom within the context of you're always looking back to the group and, and, and helping the group. And this is, this actually, I think, one could argue makes kind of the most wonderful children <laughs> because the autonomy aspect of it raises very confident, self-sufficient kids without a lot of anxiety or stress. So lack of autonomy causes stress and anxiety. But then the, the, the responsibility to the group raises kind and helpful kids, right? So you have, and respectful kids. So you have both elements to it together. And the minimal interference is this idea that like, we kind of think the more we say to children, the more we tell them what to do, the more we're involved in what they're doing, kind of the better parent we are. But actually, a lot of cultures think the opposite. They actually do as little as necessary to help a child in a certain situation. So it's not that they're not watching and looking after the child. It's just that they're not getting involved until the child really, really needs it. Um, and then it's a very light touch. So especially the Maya moms were incredible. They would just kind of be back watching the children or watching me and Rosie because they kind of talk, thought of me as a child because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and then they would just step in like if they really felt like something was, you know, that Rosie needed help or I needed help. And then it was very gentle and like guidance instead of this kind of heavy, like, oh no, don't do that. It's not like that, right? And um, there's a story that I don't know if it's in the book, but we were at this swimming hole, very deep swimming hole. Um, and this older mom went with us and I wasn't sure why she was there. And she said very little and she kind of was in the shadow. And Rosie and I were sitting at the edge of the swimming hole at the end and she didn't have her life jacket on because we were getting ready to leave. And I thought to myself, you know, if Rosie fell in, like that would be kind of it. Like it kind of hit me, like this is kind of unsafe. And I stood up and turned around to like, I think to say something to somebody. And the moment I turned around, the mom stepped out of the shadows and took Rosie's hand and then told me like, be careful, you know, don't leave her here. And she had been watching us the whole entire time, like waiting for that very gentle guidance. Um, it was incredible. It was a really incredible moment for me because it made me realize like what she was doing, you know, how much she was taking care of us, but I didn't even realize it. And so that's the way the kids feel too, I think, right? That they're kind of on their own and they're exploring and they're having these adventures, 
but they've got this incredible support and love that's kind of in the background waiting. Yeah, and that's the beauty of the village, right? That we talk about that we need more of. In yeah, we need, we need, you know, I say we don't really need a village. We just need like two more people. Yes. <laughs> just two more people would be, is like huge, you know, like it, we just need two real solid, two or three more real solid uh, participants in this adventure. I know we've reached our time with you. Do you have to head off to another meeting or can we? No, no, you? sorry. I just talked like way too much then. I'm sorry. <laughs> I could talk to you all day. So there's a really amazing part in the book that I know Cindy and I both wanted to talk to you about. I know we're both not big into chore charts and all those things, but I'll let Cindy take over from here if you have a, another minute or so. Oh, sure. I'm totally fine. Thank you. I totally agree. I feel like I could just talk to you forever. I'm like, I never want this conversation to end. It's been so great. <laughs> <laughs> but there is talking about the outdoors and maybe you have found something really successful with this with bringing Rosie with you to traveling and on and on your jobs is bribery oh, uh-huh. and and you talk about how bribery and chore charts have actually the opposite impact of what we're expecting them to have yeah um you know bribery is really interesting um I think you can probably find it everywhere at some level um but it's much, much, much less used tool than here where, where I feel like some parents even tell me that's their only tool. <laughs> we're like, you know, where like every, like, like there's this expectation that if you do something for that family, like clean up, help cook, you know, do clean, make sure your room is clean, that you're entitled to something, right? And, and that's kind of the capitalistic view of life, right? That you give, some money or your time and and you get some you get directly get something back and this is very very rare in many many places instead there's kind of this expectation that all family members have particular responsibilities so yes the maya parents the inuit parents they don't typically use use bribery and i i think what it does over time is kind of the child expects that i do X, I'm going to get Y, right? And, the, and then they stop feeling motivated to do things because they're part of a family, because they want to help their family, because they're part of a team, right? That motivation, I think, starts starts to wane and go away over, over time. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, and in your book, you actually bring up sitting with a mother, talking with her when her daughter wakes up and, and walks into the kitchen and just automatically starts doing the dishes which is absolutely incredible (laughs) like can you tell like share your thoughts on that and like teach everyone the secret to making our children do (laughs) yeah it was an incredible moment for me um because yeah she's 12 years old she was on her spring break and nobody asked her to do the dishes and she woke up the first thing she did was start doing the dishes I mean her mom wasn't very surprised Maria her mom she was like well you know she's 12 so she should know by now what needs to be done So there's been a lot of work on this by several anthropologists and psychologists. In many, many cultures, children voluntarily do chores around the house. Nobody tells them. Um, They, and usually it starts to really happen in kind of full force around seven or eight. Um, And then over time, like more and more goes goes on. So by the time they're about 15, they really or even like younger than that, 13, they can really run the household. They can basically do everything in the house. Um, and so a lot of psychology, which is very different than what you see in America, in 
um, a lot of psychologists have tried to figure out why, like what's this difference? Like what are American parents doing? And what are my parents doing? And there's several things. One of the things that's very different is that in America, many parents shoo away the little ones when they try to help. So there's a study that came out a couple months ago where they, where they asked the moms, you're doing the laundry and a two-year-old comes over and starts throwing the laundry everywhere. What do you do? And the American mom says, oh, I get angry. They're making a mess. And you know, I tell them to go, go to their room. Well, I need to finish this as quickly as possible. And the Maya mom says, I get angry because they're making a mess. <laughs> and like, you know, she, she's kind of angry too, right? And, but then she says, but I'm excited that the two-year-old is interested in doing the laundry and wants to help. And so that the, the Maya mom sees the child's mess as them trying to help and wanting to be part of the laundry. And so she says, then I start guiding her and teaching her how to do the laundry. And I say, no, we throw the clothes in the basket or we fold them and put them in the drawer. And so what happens, and there's good evidence for this in the lab as well, is that when you shoo the child away over and over again, and they're not included in the task, and you're basically saying, I don't need your help, right? I, I don't need your help. Over time, after about around four or five, the child stops wanting to help. And they start to learn, helping is not for me. I've been told enough times, I'm not part of this. Whereas the mom or the dad who, who view the child in you know, mess as, as a desire to help and who include them and start teaching them and tell them, come over, come help me with dinner, invite them over, welcome them into your chores. Over time, the child continues wanting to help um, and starts to learn how, right? And but so that by the time they're 12, they, you know, they've been doing the dishes since they were one with you and they, they know like the dishes are there, they need to be done. Um, that's one of the secrets. I talk about the other two in the book, but that will go very far. And I have to say that if they're older, you just got to get them, you got to get them over there next to you while you're doing it. You just, you know, come help me with the dinner, come help me with the laundry, and then give them a tiny, tiny task to do. So for instance, you know, here, cut these, these, these herbs, um, put this, grab this from the refrigerator, something very, very small that they can do quickly and make a, make, make a contribution. And that will motivate them to keep wanting to come help and keep being part of it. And they will slowly grow over time, their desire that the flame in them of wanting to help will grow because we're all humans want to help each other, especially their family. And probably a big part in there too, is the parents not being in a rush and being more patient about saying, this is going to take more time, but it's worth it because it's the long game. Right. Yes. This is a good point. And this is what everyone says, but I'm in a rush. And so sometimes you can't do it. You know, like this a lot of mornings really can't help me with breakfast because we're like, you know, it's mayhem. And like, but the point is that it, if she shows an interest, I, I try to take pause for a moment and give her something to do to help. Right. Like redirect that interest. Right. Instead of shooing away, be like, oh, can you go do this? Go grab the basket. Go grab the vacuum. Like somehow keep her involved, but have her so that she's not kind of directly slowing me down, so to speak. Right. Um, but, but another thing I'll say is if you cut out all those child-centered activities, <laughs> you will have more time on the weekends and after school to, to make the dinner, the laundry, the activity, right? So on Saturdays, making breakfast is the activity. 
and we take our time and we kind of enjoy it and we're not in a rush because we're not going to you know some crazy kitty playground um, so that kind of goes hand in hand if you kind of open the schedule up you'll have a little bit more time and you don't need to do it at every moment it's just sometimes welcoming them and including them you know once a week would, yes. would go so far well, thank you so much for all of this. We have a few fire round questions we want to finish with, but before that, can you tell everyone where they can find you to follow more and get your book? So I am on Twitter, which I've tried to get back into a little bit. I'm at food at foodie science. Um, you can also email me and we are working on some more kind of information ways of, of like continuing kind of the understanding and learning. So a lot of people have asked for that. So I'm trying to work on something. So hopefully in the next couple months, We'll have we'll have word about that um but you can email me i read them all and i try to respond so oh thank you so much yes and everyone needs to get hunt gather parent it's so good okay so here's our fire round in the last few months what was your best purchase under a hundred dollars this is a hard one i think um we bought a used bread maker <laughs> and it has been wonderful like we it's easy and we make a lot of like whole wheat bread and and it sounds kind of like a lot of work, but it's not. It's been really great. We got it at like a thrift store. That sounds delicious too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. We bring it to parties too. Like it's a great, like, here's some fresh bread, <laughs> even oh, though it took like five idea. minutes. You're the hit of the party. <laughs> yes, or my husband. He's super into it. So. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Can you share a book? your own as well <laughs> show or podcast recommendation right now so I love Ned Johnson's self-driven child I cited a lot in the book I think it's a game it ended up on my desk um, at NPR and it took me like months to read it and it is it was like a game changer for me it really lays out the reason why autonomy is so important in a child's life in your life and um, you know how, how how to give that more, especially for older children. Um, it's a great, great book. Oh, thank you. Another one I need to add to my read list. <laughs> and you've been on some amazing adventures. But if there was no time or money limit, where would you travel or explore? Maybe what would your next adventure be? Well, I'm hoping to go to Macedonia. This is where my husband's family is from. It's um northern north north of Greece. Um, and I really think there's probably a lot of hunt-gather parent parenting going on there in in some of the smaller villages, and I really want to I really want to talk to uh, parents there and learn from them and kind of find his ancestry um, and study them. Oh, that sounds wonderful. This is I know amazing. I hope you do that. I can't wait to read what comes out of that. Hopefully. <laughs> Next, and thank you for going over with us a little bit today. Like I oh, said, we could have talked yeah. about Thank you so yes, much. Thank you. And yeah, more questions, send them to me. I'm happy to answer anything. Oh, thank wow. you so much. This has been so great. Thank you guys. Thanks for adventuring with us. Please subscribe and share your love by reviewing our podcast with five stars. And follow us over at Kids Who Explore on Instagram and all other social media platforms.